1: You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs.
2: Welcome to the latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host Todd Burrows. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. The NBA Finals are going, from what I hear, and uh, I, I don't know why I don't watch a lot of playoff basketball. I like I like it during the season and doing DFS. I watched the little game one. I saw that it seemed like Golden State was going to win, and I jumped back out. Um, if you're not a basketball fan and you're watching this live, obvious, uh, if you're going to watch that live, uh, our podcast, you can find it on Blog Talk Radio. It pretty much shows up within an hour after we're finished doing the show, and it is also on iTunes. I don't ask very often, but if you would mind, uh, wouldn't mind rating the podcast and saying that you like it or subscribing, that would help me and uh, I'm mentioning it today. So we are um, going to have Mike Oliva on today, and he is one of the good guys that I've met on Twitter, very knowledgeable, and we're going to go a little bit through his history, and then we're going to uh, delve into some research that he has done on the third round. And without further ado, Mike, how you doing?
0: I'm doing good, Todd. Thanks for having me. It's- great to be on looking forward to oh,
2: uh, some some fun t- some fun chat yeah g- glad to have you you are going to be in my new best ball dynasty league of which i am looking for one more owner so if you hear the pod um you know dm me i am looking for one more really good owner uh someone i know if possible because we've got 11 guys um so far ready to go um, really, really talented uh, guys. Adam Ronis, who's on Sirius XM, is one of the guys in the league with his partner Andy Ferris. Did that sound funny? His partner Andy Ferris. Uh, well, we won't we won't <laughs> worry about that. But if you're interested in the league, that's great. Um, glad to have you, Mike. Um, just give us a little background. How old are you, and where did you grow up?
0: So I'm 38. Born and raised in New York City. Uh, lived in New Jersey for a little while. Uh, and then, you know, lived around the East Coast for, you know, going to universities, did two master's degrees. So that was basically my upbringing. And then uh, moved out here to, to Logan, Utah to uh, finish my Ph.D. and teach. So it's a, a little fish out of water
2: for me. Uh, it's I was very... going to say, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> get to that, but I didn't know you were from the city. What part of the city?
0: Uh, I was born on the Upper East Side. So, I mean Upper West Side, and lived
2: on the Upper East Side uh, for a while. I used to work on the Upper West Side, probably around the time you were born. If you're 38, uh, no, I was there in the 80s, like mid 80s. Yep. I was, uh, I, I worked, uh, I, I was a carpet installer in Hell, out of Hell's Kitchen, and then later I helped run a maid service up on uh, West 80th. The Upper West Side was always one of my favorite. Um, parts of the city, and I still kind of miss Tower Records when I'm over by 66 and Broadway.
0: Yeah, I remember that back in the day. Those those record stores, especially when I was a kid, was, you know, it was like a candy shop. You went in there, and it was all this new stuff. It was so exciting, and it just doesn't exist anymore, sadly.
2: No, it's, uh, it's a different world. Um, oh, my yeah. wife actually grew up on West 99th Street.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, I was um I was north. I was up by Washington Heights growing
2: up. Um and then near near Columbia I, Presbyterian.
0: Yeah. And then when um, when I was older and came back from college, I lived on the uh
2: on the Upper West
0: uh the Upper East Side for a long time on around like 86th Street.
2: Uh so you know,
0: another very interesting neighborhood. That one, the Upper East Side in like the 86th range is really kind of like a a mid-20s to mid-30s area, uh, a lot of bars, a lot of restaurants. It's it's a nice spot. I liked it.
2: We used to call it the Yuppie Haven back in the 80s. It's where, you oh, know, yeah. the Upper West Side, you'd get the more eclectic types, and the Upper East Side, you would get, like, the bankers and the, you know, the Wall Street people, um, all the people trying to, you know, more money conscious. It was... Uh, it was a little bit different. Uh, I was more of a West Side guy, but teach his own. But either way, I mean, going from uh, a childhood in New York and New Jersey out to Utah, it's got to be a little bit of a culture shock.
0: Oh, it's a major culture shock. I mean, New York is so diverse and everyone is so different. Everyone has such a different background. And and here, so many people are just, you know, they were born here. They've been here for generations. I mean, some of the people you meet, their families founded some of these towns. Uh, so it's a very different atmosphere. Um, everyone here is very, uh, for lack Mormon. of a better word,
2: kind of, well, very Mormon. <laughs> very yeah, Mormon. It's very true. It's about 80%. <laughs> everyone out places. there is very Mormon. I go out there twice <laughs> a year to Salt Lake City for the uh, outdoor retail show and uh so you know i've been to utah probably twice a year now for about 10 years
0: yeah it's a, it's a great it's a nice spot it's it just takes a little getting used to um it's a lot more outdoorsy than new york you know people oh, are no very doubt. into hiking <laughs> and camping and fishing and all all of that kind of stuff whereas you know in new york it, that doesn't really happen i mean i've never gone camping so you know it's it's kind of a new experience to, To have people
2: say, oh, do you want to spend the day outside? I actually (laughs) sell camping stuff sometimes. And um, depending on what lines I'm carrying, I've sold camping stuff. And uh, I sell hiking gear now, like backpacks and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, but I've never gone and no interest, you know, teaching. Yeah, none at all.
0: It's just not Uh, my thing. I have no desire.
2: Yeah, we survived the urban jungle. I think, you know, we did our part.
0: Central Park so, is about um, as
2: roughing it as I get. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like, you know, I like camo, but I like the the, the black camo they have out now. <laughs> we sell these these backpacks that are like black camo. I call them urban camo. I, I I think they're pretty cool. So, how long have you been playing fantasy football? So I actually started, I'd
0: say probably '98. So almost 20 years now. Um, you, you know, you, even started, though you're
2: younger than me, you started a year before me. Really? Yeah,
0: yeah I, I just got into it in a in a friends league. I got an invite from a friend, and you know, it was just an instant addiction. Uh, combining you know my two favorite things, which is basically you know football and statistics, and
2: that was it. I was money hit. and money, and
0: yeah, money. and, and the, the the money, the gambling component. That obviously is probably my third favorite thing. So. You know that just kind of yeah, which is
2: illegal in Utah. I know.
0: Can't even get scratch-off lottery tickets here. People drive to Idaho. It's ridiculous.
2: Are you serious? Mm -hmm. That I did not know. Yeah,
0: the biggest thing uh, when you drive over the border, there's a gas station. The minute you cross the border to Idaho, and it just it has like two gas pumps and then an enormous liquor store and every kind of lottery ticket you can possibly imagine.
2: That's funny. So. um, Tell us a little bit about your fantasy journey and uh, take us, you know, kind of from 98 to uh, what you tend to do a lot of now.
0: So, I mean, it started again, friends league, you know, we, we just started with that and, you know, over time, we kind of built that into trying to make it more, more challenging. We added the PPR element, we had made it two QBs, Um, you know, and that league really kind of, you know, I often say to people that you get into fantasy by, you know, one of two ways, just either immersing yourself in it or just getting into like one league and then just really falling in love with it. And that's kind of how it worked for me. Um, you know, that league opened it up and it was like I wanted to do more and I wanted to learn more and I wanted to play in different formats. And so that's basically kind of how I started. Um, and then you, I just went forward and started joining more leagues as time went on And then was one of the the first guys to really jump into DFS. I mean, I was on FanDuel within a couple months of it
2: coming out.
0: Um, I just immersed myself in it
2: and and absolutely loved it. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, because I'm in a a full-time job, I've never been able to really give um, DFS the amount of time it needs to be really good at.
0: It's one of those things where, especially early on, I, I never did the tournaments. I, um I actually one of the people that I was friends with really early on in the beginning was Pete Jennings. and we both played very differently, and he, um, for those that don't know, has won you know millions in tournaments, and he's on commercials and everything. Um, and when we were both just getting started, you know he was in a finance job in Colorado that he wasn't
1: really loving.
0: And he was very into the tournament and very into that tournament strategy of, you know, um, stacking and, and, and fading players and, and calculating um, ownership percentages. And I strictly played cash. So I, you know, I was in, you know, 10 player leagues. I was in head-to-heads, 50-50s. Uh, so we had very different outlooks. And, and the ways we approached it were very different in terms of lineup building. Um, You know, I was lucky. I was very profitable, you know, since day one. uh, But largely just because I did cash and I just focused on on that, which is, I think, easier than trying to win one of these tournaments with a million people. Where
2: I I, I feel like it really, I feel it really depends on your personality type. I think you know, whatever your personality type is, that's what you should focus on. I mean, I'm pretty good at thinking outside the box, so I don't play cash you know, and because I just don't have time for both. And I, I just, as I've met a lot of people in DFS, I, I, I think people, you know, gravitate to what their their core personality would be better at.
0: And I think that's very true. I mean, I was never, I'm still not a strong tournament player. Um, it's just not something I've ever been really good at. Um, you know, it just, it doesn't really work to my nature and my kind of analytical strategy, whereas cash does. Um, you know, so it's it's what I've been successful at, and yeah, you know, to your point, it's it's why I focus on that as
2: opposed to well, you and know, maybe trying you to win can a help fifty thousand dollars. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's just it's really a mindset.
2: So, uh, really Paul, you, so you do you do a lot with daily fantasy, but how many? you know season long leagues are you in how many dynasty leagues are you in and um you know we're we're here to talk MFL 10s we might as well segue into it how many MFL 10s do you play so season
0: long you know I balance. it depends on the year um i usually i used to play in the uh, FFPC the football guys championship uh every year and you know made the finals there four times which is nice cuz just getting to the finals is a, is a $1,500 win, which is, which is pretty nice. Um, and I've always enjoyed that. I like the structure of, of those tournaments and of those leagues. Um, typically, I'm in probably five to ten season long a year. Um, have not done the Dynasty jump yet. Uh, this, this year will be my first jumping into Dynasty. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. It's just a different challenge that I haven't I'm not really familiar with. So it'll be interesting. Um, and then MSL tens. I, I really wanted to get in last year. I was hoping to do a couple, to do a bunch, and I ended up only doing one, and was and really regretted it. So this year I'm already at 38, and looking to be at around 150 by the time our, the season kicks off.
2: Wow. Yeah, I did 87 year one, 114 last year, and um, I didn't even do any before the draft. This year I, I did. Um, like 35 before the draft. So I'll probably be right there with you around 150. And then, of course, I'm also doing the FFPC slow ones. And I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 of those, and those are more expensive. I've got 377s and the rest are 35s. So it'll be interesting. Um, It is your first year doing MFL 10s what are some of the key strategies that you have found and think you can take advantage of in doing MFL 10?
0: One of the big things for me is I really focused on value on every pick. Uh, So for example, you know, I use uh, at, uh, at, you know, fantasy ADHD's website uh, to, to look at, you know, who should be there, who's falling. And it's one of the things that I really try and, and do is kind of let the draft come to me. Um, You know, there are guys I'm not that high on, but, you know, if they slip four rounds, it's it's too much value to walk away from. Uh, So really I just kind of focus on getting as much value out of every pick as as possible.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I use Rotovis. I I played around with uh, his and I, I, it, there was, it seemed like there was a delay and there was another website, um, Draft Sharks, that I played around with for FFPC, and it was like three rounds behind. And you know, I I'm, I just I just that you know the Rotoviz app, you know, once the league shows up, which typically is like twelve hours after you join, it's there. I, I love what uh, Fantasy AHDH has done. He's a he's a brilliant guy, and I love those. Uh, you know, you're a better numbers guy than me, so I could see why you would like that one better. Um, but the RotoViz app to me, you know, besides getting great articles for thirty dollars a year, you get that app and a lot of others. And uh, that one, that one, and, and one of my key takeaways that I wrote about in my recent article on fine tuning MFL tens is taking the time to make sure you're looking at whichever one of these ones it is, that you're looking at something. You know, last, my first year I, I took my time and I kind of ran into the running back apocalypse. The second year I, I really didn't concentrate enough and I was doing a ton of picks on my phone. And I, I feel like I've got much better teams going into this year because I'm taking my time.
0: And I completely agree with that. I think that, I mean, it, it's compelling to to find out that you've got to pick and, and, and you want to make it quick and you're excited, but I, I think that's, And how you don't want to hold people up. Yeah. But I, I think that's how mistakes are made. And, you know, a lot of times you you're in a rush, you do it on your phone or whatever, and you pick somebody and then you two picks later, some guy goes and you're like, I didn't know that he was even still there. And, and and that's really frustrating when you know when especially one of the guys that you're high on is still there and you miss them because you're not paying attention.
2: Yeah, because as good as myfantasyleague.com is, they their their tool isn't for ADP and who shows up when it's your turn to pick is based on like every draft that happened for the whole season, as far as I can tell, and it's also includes rookie drafts and 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 super flex drafts so really you know if you're looking on your phone and you're trying to pick i mean i know i shouldn't have but a lot of times last year i was picking while i was driving i mean how stupid (laughs) is that um so i mean not just from a you know you shouldn't text while you drive kind of thing but just um it was just stupid in general so um you know I got one complaint from a guy this year, you're taking too long to pick. And I'm like, sorry, bud. But, uh, you know, if I'm out working and, uh, you know, I don't want to pick until I have a chance to check my best ball app.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's that's smart. I mean, it's one thing to just draw out eight hours each time. But, you know, I'm usually pretty quick. Um, if I'm on my computer, I mean, I have the – there's a screen on My Fantasy League that, that tells you where you stand and all your – on. Co- in all your current drafts, you know, how many picks away you are and all of that. And, you know, I'll pre-draft if it's possible, but, you know, I, I have no problem waiting an hour or two to, to make a good pick as opposed to just, you know, grabbing someone. And, and to your point, the ADP that they use, it's just, it's not reliable. I mean, because of the rookie drafts and everything, you've got guys like uh, Kamara, go, you know, technically who should be in the eighth round, which, you know, shouldn't happen. Um, you know, like Corey Davis, I think his ADP is in, like, the 40s, uh, which is not reflective of, like, an actual MFL 10.
2: Well, and not only that, I mean, even his regular ADP that shows up on the best ball app I think is too high. Uh, you know, look, I mean, he might be fine, but there's four or five other guys there that, you know, it, the rookie wide receiver thing, it's not as big as it used to be. It used to be that you never really counted on rookie wide receivers, and it was rare that they would have big seasons. And now, it, you know, it's not as concerning. But he—he he didn't come from a big school. He didn't play big competition. He's just a guy that, unless he's around much later than he normally is, I—I I, I would much rather take Rashard Matthews four to five, you know, three four rounds later. Oh, and I absolutely agree. I mean,
0: I think I have – I think I've taken him twice. One was an accidental, um, you know, where the computer picked for me because I timed out. And the second, I think he dropped to, like, the mid-ninth round. And at that point, it was just a value play.
2: Yeah, and and also just, uh, you know, I, I love making picks like that. You know, guys that you really don't like, but they're such a good value. And, and that way, you know, one of my other key focuses this year is not missing out on guys whose ADP I don't like completely because that's how I've missed a lot of the guys who really went off. You know, like I'm, I'm like you, I want a value. So, you know, like last year, if I didn't think Jordy Nelson was enough of a value in the mid to end of second round coming off an injury, I didn't take him at all. I think I had him in one out of 114 drafts, and he goes and he has the second-best year for a wide receiver. So I, I, I'm, I'm not going crazy, but I don't want to be overly risk-averse this year. And I think
0: that's a good point. I mean, that's one of the things that I've been kind of working on toward in the last maybe 10 to 15 drafts is that I noticed in the first you know, 25 drafts there were guys I had none of just because I don't like their ADP. And, you know, not that I don't like them. I just didn't like where they were. And I've been working on kind of maybe kind of not so much reaching, but kind of taking a shot at those guys um, just largely because I want some exposure to them. But I I do agree that it can be, can be an issue when you're kind of value based and, and you don't really like the ADP someone's giving you. Yeah.
2: I've got two shares out of 65 on Corey Davis. Uh, average pick of 90. His ADP is 62.41. You know, I can live with that. While Richard Matthews, who, if you look at Richard Matthews' second half last year, it is very eerily similar to Doug Baldwin's the year before. A guy who, you know, Doug Baldwin before the second half of two years ago was, you know, he was a total jag. And, you know, but that last eight games, him and Wilson had a lot of chemistry. And I noticed a very similar, not only stats, but chemistry that Mariota had with Richard. I, I don't have as much of him as I would like, but I've got uh, about 10% of Richard and, and he's the guy that I, I, I traded for in um, a dynasty league as well. So um, we, we've talked a lot about that, and we should get into this. Um, you've done a lot of studying on the third round, and you have some guys as clear second-round picks that if they fall into the third round, you're all, all over them? Why don't you tell us who those guys are?
0: So for me, those guys are, are really – there's four. You have Gronkowski, Allen Robinson, uh, Leonard Fournette, and, and Todd Gurley are, for me, those four guys that typically second-rounders, but if they're falling into the third, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a buyer. Um, you know, and that's, that's one where it's just a value thing for me. Um, you know, getting those guys in the late second, um, is one thing, but if I'm getting a late second pick, you know, like a Des Bryant or someone, and I'm still getting the opportunity at one of these in the third, then that's a great way to start a draft.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's, uh, for me, it's, I love seeing Jay Ajayi fall to like two nine, two ten. Um, are you concerned at all about the cumulative effect of Rob Gronkowski's injuries? That's my concern with him. I've seen these guys who, you know, have a, it's not just one or two injuries and he's had ba- multiple back injuries. Um, what What's your thoughts about his injuries? Do you still think he has that elite top end upside that he had in the past?
0: I do. I definitely think he's got that, that top side, that, I mean, he's, hes in my opinion, the, the number one person for, for that touchdown production. Um, I mean, yes, the, the injuries are concerning. And, and I've read the reports that, you know, another injury to that, that segment of his back could result in the need for a spinal fusion, which would end his career. Um, so, obviously, that's a major concern. Uh, but, you know, there is an inherent injury risk list with, with everyone. Um, and I do think that when he's healthy – he just presents such an upside that, you know, you, you got to take that chance. Um, you know, I wouldn't take him in the first round. I know he went there in years past, but, you know, if I'm getting him as my third pick, I'm, I'm really happy with that.
2: Yeah, I've got him three times out of 65. It's not a lot. I, I think that between all the different people that they have in that offense now, And, you know, the cumulative effect of his injuries, I I don't think he's a screaming bargain. uh, But I I have started taking him a little bit, and the reason is because a lot of the people that had been falling to the end of the second round, like DeMarco Murray or Jay Ajayi, Des Bryant, some of these guys that I really like taking at the end of the second round aren't there anymore. And, and
0: that's happened to me too, and that's kind of how I started looking at this third round uh, kind of problem, uh, because I was often my first two rounds I was coming away happy, and now those guys are starting to fade away, and it's making that third round even more important uh, because you, you're not getting Demarco late or Ajayi late.
2: Yeah, it's it's the, you know it's kind of taken the luster off of getting one of those top three running backs early on in drafts. I was just so happy getting those top three running backs because I was also getting guys I liked. Uh, but some of the guys I liked have had, you know, draft situations happen. And, um, but I do want to get through these other second round guys. Do you think Leonard Fournette can pay off his ADP as a rookie? And if so, why? Why? And how much do you expect him to be on the field on third down, which seems to be the key concern many have with his ADP?
0: You know, I think he can pay it off. Um, I'm not expecting an Ezekiel Elliott situation. Um, I think anyone who is is just kind of really being overly optimistic. But I, I do think he's got that potential. I think the game plan is for him to be this guy who's going to get you know, 275 carries, be the workhorse, um, get the goal line looks. And, and they've said that, you know, in OTAs, he's looked good catching the ball. His pass blocking is better than expected. Uh, he was a surprisingly decent blocker in college. He wasn't fantastic, but he wasn't bad. Um, and, and I just don't see Yeldon being that great of a receiving back that they just give him the entire third down role. Um, you know, I do think that Fournette's got that ability to to play on third downs and and get you know 30 or 40 catches, uh, which I think is really all he's going to need to return on ADP. I think, you know, I think he's a lock for a thousand yards. He he's going to be the goal line back. That team's going to move the ball. Um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he got you know eight to 10 touchdowns. Um, and just given the state of running backs right now, I think. This, you know a thousand yards eight nine touchdowns that's that's good enough for an rb1
2: yeah i uh you know i think you know my adp for him is around 3334 that's when i start considering him um i do think there's questions there's no doubt that he's not going to be Zeke Elliott unless all the Dallas offensive linemen somehow end up in Jacksonville. (laughs) Um, But another guy that I I do agree with you on, and I like a little bit more um, because there aren't as many questions about his workload is Todd Gurley. I personally see a bounce back year with Sean McVay there away from the Jeff Fisher offense. Um, You seem to agree. Why do you think he is going to improve?
0: Um, I've got a couple of reasons and I've got a little hesitation. I mean, the Lance Dunbar thing and the fact that they really want to, to turn Lance Dunbar into kind of what Chris Thompson is in Washington. That's a little concerning to me. Um, I think, you know, Gurley had something like 30 ish, 40 receptions last year. You know, if he starts coming off the field on third downs, especially for a team that's going to be trailing a lot, um, that's, that's scary. But, you know, Gurley's talent is un, it's undeniable. Nobody has any doubts that he's talented, you know, and if you look at the yards before contact last year,
2: you know, the,
0: the league average was 1.6, you know, Buffalo averaged 2.9, Tennessee at 2.4, Atlanta 2.1, Dallas at 2. L.A. was at 1.1, you know. I mean, he was getting hit within a yard of, of, of receiving the ball. He just – he never had an opportunity to do anything. And those yards before contact go down further um, on outside runs. You know, L.A. just wasn't they just weren't getting him any room to do anything. He had people in his face the minute he received a handoff. And, you know, I, there's nothing you can do, no matter how talented you are. Um, and I think a new offense, a new scheme will will benefit him.
2: One thing that's interesting to me there is – they're not just automatically, it seems, giving Jared Goff. I'm starting to hear that Sean Mannion, who I liked a lot last year and who I was, I, I you know, on Twitter a few times, they said, why is Case Keenum starting and Sean Mannion isn't? And it, it's just another failure, I think, of Jeff Fisher. I mean, Sean Mannion, he, he's got a good arm. He's got good size. Um, you know, I know they spent a ton of draft Capital on Goff, but if he's not ready, I think Sean Mannion um, is going to get a chance to play. And if that's the case, I like that whole offense better. And I think Sean McVeigh is a better offensive play caller. And, you know, I, I, I think that even if Lance Dunbar is the third down back, I, I, it doesn't take a lot to get two to three catches a game. Even if you're playing, you know, two downs. I, I think they're smart enough to get Gurley in the open spaces, and he's going to get 250 carries. Out of these guys with questions in this area, he's one that I personally like. The the last guy on your second-round list that I'm actually seeing in the third round almost every draft now is Allen Robinson, and he's someone I was high on early, and, and, and then I've read some things about other people and um, – you know, what are your thoughts on Alan Robinson?
0: I mean, I look at him really in tandem with Bortles.
2: Um, I'm I'm high on – relatively high on both. I think I have
0: Bortles out of 38 teams. I've got Bortles in on, on 10 of them right now. Um, he's basically one of the guys I look to as a QB2 behind a, a legitimate QB if I'm taking, uh, you know, an, an Andrew Luck or somebody or, you know, Kirk Cousins, whoever I end up taking. Uh, Bortles tends to be there late. And and really, Bortles, you know, in 2015, you know, he was all about the deep passes. He was fifth in passer rating and sixth in accuracy. And last year, he dropped to 27th in both categories. And and that was a huge knock on Robinson. Um, you know, in 2015, uh, Robinson had 672 yards on passes over 20 yards. And last year, he had 108. And and that's why you saw that drop in numbers. And you know, he, he looked a little lazy sometimes. He got stuck in coverage. But if they can get that deep ball working again, you know, I, I see him being much closer to the the 1,300-yard, 12-touchdown guy he was in 15 compared to, to last year where he just, you know, just withered away. And the the new coaching staff, the last two games, they, they worked on getting him and moving around the formation. You know, he had about 200 yards in the last two games. So, you know. There, there is hope.
2: Yeah, normally I don't like using the last two games of a season as a judge. You know, I mentioned Richard and Baldwin. What got me on both those guys was the fact that it was an eight-game sample. But I think this is an unusual circumstance, like you said, because there is a coaching change. Also, I think they're going to put Bortles in a better position. Tom Coughlin had a lot of success with Eli you know, I mean, if you look back at Eli's early stats, I mean, they were awful. You know, the only thing he was really good at early in his career was late in games, and you know, they they ended up um, getting him in a lot of play action situations. So, drafting Fournette, I think you and I talked about this off off uh, off the pod. I said that, you know, one of the things I think is with that Fournette is going to make Robinson a better player. And I own about 14% on Robinson and about 10% on Bortles. And I, I think those are good ranges for, for me to be with both of them. So that really finishes up the, um, the second-round guys who, if they fall into the third round, you'd be interested The last thing I'm going to look at, I just want to real quick look at Robinson's recent, um, because like I mentioned, I have seen him going late. Right now he's got an ADP of 26. So on average, he is falling into that range. He only has a standard deviation of four. So he's going between 22 and 30 in pretty much every draft. And I love that call for him in the early third. I think he... All these guys have questions pretty much, but he is a guy that I feel pretty good about. And I think you agree, correct? Oh, absolutely.
0: I, I really think it's a bounce-back year. And, you know, as you said, compared to the other guys in this area,
2: um, I just think the, the upside far
0: outweighs the, the risk.
2: Brandon Cooks is someone I've gone back and forth on. We're, we're, we're now into the um, the full third round guys, the guys that are almost always there in the third round, Brandon Cooks, as I mentioned, is someone i've gone back on fourth on. What are your thoughts on him? I love
0: the talent and and I like him a lot in New Orleans but but there's definitely a few concerns that I, I really have with him. Uh, the first being the the home and away splits um, that, that's just a massive Difference, you know, at home, which was, is
2: the indoor and outdoor splits. That's yeah. the concerning part.
0: Yeah. So I mean, you're talking uh, five catches for 79 yards and .6 touchdowns a game versus outdoors five for 58 and .3, uh, which is a it's a significant difference. Um, you know, that's that's one of the things that concerns me. the The second is really, you know, the Patriots spread the ball around a lot. And, you know, the last wide receiver one they had, I believe was Welker six years ago. You know, you have Gronk, you have Edelman, they're getting their targets. Hogan, Mitchell, Burkhead, Allen, Lewis, they're getting targets. James White, I mean, if you look at target distribution for last year, Edelman had 158, Bennett 73, Hogan 57, White 86, Gronk only 38, that's going up. Um, Malcolm Mitchell had 48. So, you know... Cooks had 129 targets in 15. He had 117 last year. I don't see him getting that kind of volume. Um, I think he's going to be an an example of someone who's much better at real football than fantasy football.
2: What's interesting about um, Cooks to me is I agreed with you 100% originally. I mentioned I went back and forth if you go to footballdiehards.com, you can see my article or on my timeline on Twitter, at Todd with one D from PA. Um, I did a, an analysis of how many times each wide receiver got 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, and 40 points in MFL 10s last year. And one of my biggest shocks was that Cooks got 10 points 80% of the time. Now, to show you how elite that is, Antonio Brown was 80% also. Beckham was 80% also. Evans was 80%. And Jordy Nelson was 87%. So that was elite. Where he fell off was in the 15- and 20-point games and the, that, there he was in the 30s and the 20s, in 15 and 20, where the top guys were still in the 70s and 60s. And then he matched them pretty much with 20% at, at 25 and 30 points. Um, so he does have it in, you know, because I had this opinion of him that he was a boomer bus guy. And at a ADP of, you know, if I can get 10 points, a few big games, you know, with a third-round pick, you want to make sure you at least got that 10-point floor. So that kind of turned my mind around, and just also the fact that Brady just, you know, the fact that there's so many options opens up those deep passes for him with Brady. So I, I, still don't have a lot. I will be underweight on him, but I just wanted to share my, uh, my, uh, my thoughts on that.
0: And I do kind of agree. I actually agree with the whole thing. I'll be underweight as
2: well. Um, and I do think he's going to give you those spiked weeks.
0: You're going to get some big weeks out of him. Um, he's, you know, somebody I obviously would much rather in an NFL 10 than a redraft. Cause you know, there's going to be weeks he disappears. Because everyone does there, um, with the exception of Edelman and Gronk, you know nobody is going to be a, a weekly plug-and-play that you can comfortably just relax with. Um, you know, I, I kind of see him as being kind of a, a supersized Chris Hogan. You know, last year Hogan had 38 for 680 with a few big games, and I kind of see, you know, Cooks being like that but just better. I wouldn't, I'd be shocked to find his to see his line above anything like you know, 60 catches for maybe a thousand yards and like seven TDs. I just don't think he's going to have that monster season that, that people are dreaming of. Like he's this reincarnation of Randy Moss and he's going to burst down the seams for 22 touchdowns. It's just, I I just don't see that happening.
2: Yeah. I I see that as unlikely, but um, you know, as we go through these guys and the reason you did this research, they all have questions. So uh, I'm currently only at three percent ownership on him. I'd like to get that up closer to ten percent. Uh, the next guy we're going to discuss is a guy that I've already mentioned a couple times that I was a big fan of, and I just have not been getting him in drafts this year. He's going earlier than than you know. It always seems like if I'm picking twenty fifth, he's gone at twenty three, and that's Doug Baldwin. He is. You know, I think the perception is he is the safest option of the group. And, um, you know, do you feel the same way that he's the safest out of all these guys? Oh, by far.
0: I mean, he's the guy that I'd say in my first 15 drafts, he was my third round pick something like eight times,
2: Um, you know, early
0: on, I'm thinking maybe March, he was, you could get him early, sometimes mid third round. And, I just think that's ridiculous. I mean, for me, he's my wide receiver eight in my rankings. Um, He was six overall and 15, nine overall last year. Um, You know, he's got a weekly floor. You were talking about getting that 10 points, you know, last year he had 14 games with four or more catches, uh, 10 games with more than 50 yards, you know, and then in terms of spike weeks, he had four games of 20 points or more, three games or third of 30 points or more, Um, you know, in that 2015 run, I believe he had six games out of eight with over 20 points. You know, he, he gives you safety. He, he's going to get you four or five catches, 50 or 60 yards every single game. And he's also going to blow up and give you those 140-yard, two-touchdown monster games sometimes. And, you know, there's he, he hasn't missed a game in, in years. He's just he, – there, there's really no negatives that I can think of with him. And, you know, he's got the chemistry with Wilson – And considering everybody else and all the the warts and concerns we have, for me in the third round, you, you don't get safer.
2: Yeah, it's really shocking to me how little of him I have. I mean, I own him in every dynasty league, but I only have him in two of 65 leagues. I missed out on him in the third round back when he was available there and you know i i find it's a phenomenon when i'm used to getting a guy as a, a huge bargain you know last year i he was one of my top owned wide receivers and i probably had close to 20 you know 25 to 30% of them in mfl tens in the fourth and fifth round i find that sometimes i'm a, a reticent you know to pay the higher price and and that's a weakness in my game that i'm going to continue to work at overcoming um, the next guy on our list is Lamar Miller. Um, you seem to be down on him. What do you think his ADP should be? My thought is even, you know, if he's, he was one of those guys who was so banged up all last year, um, and he really didn't have the big games, but he was very, very consistent um, at 10 points. But um, when it came to the, you know, he just didn't have any of the big runs he had had in Miami. What are your thoughts on him, and where do you think he he should be going?
0: I, you know, I'd be a buyer in the fourth round, um, maybe late late third. Uh, I've got him in I think three or four leagues, you know. So I'm not I'm not against it, but the ADP ha- the price has to be right. Um, you know, I just I, I don't have a lot of faith in that offense um he was he really didn't impress me in what i saw last year um you know he took what was given but he didn't really break anything um you know the the numbers weren't as good as they could have been you know 268 carries for 1073 yards and 5 tds you know he wasn't really doing much scoring wise and there is the concern that Dr. Foreman's going to get some of those goal line carries, which would devalue him even more. Um, and they've also said that, you know, the 268 carries were too much. They want to tone that down. They felt they overused him early on and wore him down. So, I mean, if we're talking about him getting 220 carries and, you know, 40 catches, I have a hard time seeing him turn that into a, a third round output.
2: Yep. I, uh, I I, I own 10% of him last year. He was one of my most owned guys and that offensive line underperformed. The quarterback was awful and uh it it was not a good situation. Um I've got him at 10%. I think I'm fine with that. Um ADP I'm a little I'm a little underweight on his ADP. But uh you know a lot of that was before they had Foreman so the next guy is someone that you're very high on, uh, it, it appears, Demarius Thomas. What, what's your take on Demarius?
0: Well, I just want to – one last thing with Lamar Miller. Um, you know, I think if Watson takes over that, that QB role and plays well, his mobility, his strong arm could open it up for him. <clears throat> but I just – I don't think Tom Savage is the answer for him. So I, no, I, I do think I, that I that's something to be aware of. You know, if Watson uh, gets I, that job – Oh sorry, I was just gonna say if Watson, if Watson gets that job, I do think that, that it raises my expectations for, for Miller. Um I think he'll thrive more, but with Savage as the quarterback, I don't I don't see him being significantly better than last year.
2: Yeah, I I, I, I think it I think it's good you know, look, coaches say what they say, right? But I, I have to believe in his heart Bill O'Brien is saying I want Watson to win this job. We know what Tom Savage is. He's been here three years. He didn't play all that well. I mean, his stats weren't much better than Broski Oscar were. And, you know, I, I think that if Watson plays well, um, while he's not the strongest armed quarterback, I think, you know, his mobility and – and his winning, I I I have to believe that he's going to be the guy under center week one. I know that's still not a popular take, and that's why I'm a little higher on both Hopkins, Fuller, and Miller than some people are. Then, uh, but back to uh, Demarius.
0: I you know he's just consistent. The the guy, you know people. Say there was a drop off after Manning, obviously there was, but he hasn't missed a game in five years. His five year averages 98 catches, 1,374 yards, nine touchdowns. You know, last year was his down year dealing with two inexperienced quarterbacks, and he still had 90 for 1,083 and five TDs. Um, you know, the coaching staff's been talking about getting him to dominate games more uh, from beginning to end. They've talked about reutilizing those wide receiver screens that he used to run with Manning that were just a massive success for him. Um, you know, I think he's a good bet for, you know, another 90 to 100 catches, 11 to 1200 yards, 8 TD kind of a season. Um, you know, injury risk with him is about as low as you can find. Um, I just think that the, the consistency, the floor, and the upside are all there.
2: The one reason I don't have much DT is – I'm not against him, but I'm going to read to you a little bit of the information from my article on wide receivers. Um, Demarius had uh, an elite, 80%. We talked about all the people who had 80% uh, 10-point weeks. Um, He had 53%, which is also – it's not elite, but it's solid second level – uh, for 15 points, but after that, you know, he had 27% of 20 points, but no 25, 30, or beyond weeks, where Emmanuel Sanders had 53% 10-point weeks, 33% 15, and but he also had 20% 25 weeks and 7% 30 points. Demarius was the 17th best point-per-game wide receiver Last year he's being drafted as the 15th, and Sanders was the 18th last year. It's funny that they're they're right next to each other, but he's being drafted as the 26th wide receiver off the board. So t- what I end up doing a lot of times is passing on DT and taking Sanders later because I think it's a better value. Uh, but I certainly, with an 80, you know, there's room for upside still. of 10 points is elite. I can't argue him in in the third round other than my preference to try and get Sanders later.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I definitely see that. And he doesn't have the, the, as much of the spike wheat potential as he used to. That's more of Sanders game. Um, You know, he's, he's, he's that guy that you're locking in that floor, that elite floor, um, you know, of I'm getting 10 to 12 points every week no matter what um you know with the upside to 20 or so uh but you know again depending on how the quarterbacks come off we we don't even know who's starting yet out of Lynch or simeon um you know depending on which one starts and and how they use them if they get those screens going they go back to him more in the red zone um you know he does have that potential to give you that you know massive you know, 12-touchdown season with 1,400 yards, 100 catches. Um, you know, he, he's got that ability. It's just a matter of whether or not he plays up to it and that offense
2: plays up to it. Yeah, I, again, you know, very solid pick. Uh, nothing wrong with him. I just, I, I, I have three out of 65, and I think I have eight with Sanders. I I, I don't have a ton of either. Um, the guy that I, I was completely off early, but lately uh, he's getting more and more interesting to me is C.J. Anderson. I'm finding him in the sixth round now. Uh, I, I find it hard to pass on C.J. Anderson in the sixth round. I, I know I'm digressing a bit here, but what are your thoughts on C.J. Anderson uh, when he when he falls that far?
0: I, it's funny you bring it up because one of the guys is on. So many of my teams at Devante Booker um, because he's available in the 16th, 17th round. They've already said that you know he's going to get an opportunity. The the new run scheme does seem to favor him. Um, you know CJ I think is, is is a really solid back. My only concern is the injury history. You know it, it's he does get banged up. Um, he can look ineffective, but at other times he looks. Unstoppable, so I mean he's a weird those, guy he is he's one of those guys you watch a game and you're just like i don't understand how this is an NFL running back, and then two games later he's ripping through holes with this burst um, you know it's one of those things where it's completely how far he falls. you know when he was going in the fourth you know early fifth, it was I just had no exposure, but seeing him drop down to you know the sixth, I really you know, I think there's a lot of value there, and frankly, I have no problem grabbing him in the sixth and Booker in the sixteenth, and kind of locking down that backfield, kind of to your concept of stack cuffing. Um, should I
2: don't cuffing. think Jamal well, Charles... well, we won't get to stack cuffing today, but if anyone's <laughs> interested, right. there's an article I wrote on it on Football Diehards. Uh, it was pr- it was printed today, and uh, but just to show you, you, you know, C.J. Anderson, I'm going to go back to. The beginning of MFL 10s at the end of February, he was being drafted at 40, and now he's being drafted at 60, as far as an average ADP. And again, like I said, I had zero of him, but now he's starting to show up in the mid-sixth round, and I am taking a few shares. So um, one last thing on him, Uh, I know I digressed this a little bit here, but back to my chart. He had 10 points in 71% of the games he played, 43% at 15 points, and 14% at 20 and 25. He didn't play all that many games, but that, that's, a, that's a pretty good um, – that, that was better than I expected, um, to be honest. So we'll move on to Keenan Allen. What are your thoughts on Keenan? When healthy, he's been a target monster for Phillip Rivers. Do you see this continuing with all the weapons there now?
0: You know, this is one of the, the guys that's just really difficult. Um, you know, it's, it's just a really hard guy to, to figure out. Um, you know, the talent's there, but the injuries are just – it's so frequent that it's, it, it's really hard to, to discount it. You know, he missed eight games in 2015. He missed 15 last year. You know, he had that one big season – uh, you know, seventy one for ten forty six and eight touchdowns, and then two thousand fifteen. Before he got hurt, he was in the middle of a monster season. You know, in only eight games, he had sixty seven for seven twenty five and four. But you know, there's so many weapons there now. Tyrell Williams, Benjamin Inman, Henry Hunter is going to be a future tight end. Antonio Gates is still there. They drafted Mike Williams with a top pick. Um, you know, it's, it's it's really hard to see him getting the targets that he needs, that he, wants, that he should get, um, even barring an injury. You know, even if he stays healthy, it's really hard to see a way he's getting 140, 150 targets with all those weapons.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm taking a few shares just in case he does. Um, but um, overall, I agree with you. Speaking of injured players, our next player on the list is Mr. Soft Tissue Injury, Alshon Jeffrey. What are your thoughts on him for this year?
0: I have no exposure.
2: Um, I I don't
0: see him as a third rounder. I, I probably wouldn't be a buyer until about the fifth. Um, You know, was suspended for four games last year. He missed seven in 2015. You know, last two years he's averaged 53 catches for 800 yards. You know, he had monster years in 2013 and 14, but, you know, he just I, – I don't see the the wide receiver one in him. And, you know, Wentz took a step back last year. They brought in Torrey Smith. They have Jordan Matthews. Zach Ertz gets lots of targets. You know, I, I just don't – I can't see him as a wide receiver one. And that's, that's where he's being taken, and I just – I don't see it happening.
2: I have I have a, I have about 7% at an ADP at the end, very end of the third round. Um, again, one of those guys who has the talent to be a top 12 wide receiver. Uh, I agree with most of what you said, but he's one of those guys, again, because all these guys have questions, I don't want to just wake up, you know, November 15th and have one of the ones that I have zero shares of be the guy who's, you know, fifth in the league in scoring. So I, I've got a little bit of Jeffrey, um, but again, he's a hard guy for me to take. The next guy is really one of the hardest guys for me to take. Um, I didn't like his tape. Now, I admit I'm not as much of a college tape guy as some people, and it's not like I watched every game, but Christian McCaffrey just. You know he's got so many great qualities, but I didn't love a lot of his tape and his size. I wonder how it's going to transfer. And when you're drafting a guy in the third round, you know you're 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 not just you're not drafting a third-down back. You're drafting a guy that you're expecting to get about 150 carries. Uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Christian McCaffrey.
0: Uh, you know, talent-wise, I, I really see him as being uh, possibly a better version of Reggie Bush. I, I think he's got tremendous talent. Um, my concern is how is he going to be utilized? So Carolina's last in the league in terms of throwing the running backs. Cam Newton would rather run and check it down. So, you know, last year they only targeted running backs 70 times for 44 receptions. You know, that's got to change in a huge way for McCaffrey to return value. He's got to get 60 to 70 catches to to even come close to a third-round ADP. Um, And along with carries, he needs about 150 carries, as you said. And Jonathan Stewart is still there. Last two years, he's had 248 and 218 carries, and he does the goal line work. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out where McCaffrey's touches are going to come from. And, you know, how is that offense really going to completely change to Foster McCaffrey? Because it's going to have to because the status quo of how they ran last year just isn't going to sustain him at a third-round ADP.
2: Yeah, I was drafting him early uh, before the draft sum. I own uh, 9% at an average pick of 53, so, you know, that's fifth round, um, where I was very comfortable taking him. Uh, Third, you know, he he got that late push of – adrenaline on ADP, and even though he went to Carolina, where most people agreed, he, it wasn't a great landing spot for him. His ADP, really, I'm going to take a quick look at him, uh, you know, since the draft, and let's see where he was. I just, if, just bear with me one second. I'm going to change the date here to 425. So, yeah, he... Since the draft, his ADP has gone up. I mean, he was around 36, and now he's around 32. And it's just a, a, a tough pill for me to swallow. Especially, I'll skip to Joe Mixon because he's on the sheet, he's a couple down. I, I just think that Joe Mixon, I liked A, I liked his tape a little bit better. Uh, and again, with the big caveat, I'm not a, a huge tape guy, but I, I'm I'm going to trust my own eyes. And um, I mean, I have some concerns that Hill and Bernard are still there. But if I'm sitting there looking at Mixon and McCaffrey, which I was in an FFPC draft recently when I wanted to take a running back, I took Mixon. So I'm interested in your take overall on Mixon and how you feel about him versus, say, a McCaffrey or even a Crowell, who's not a third-round pick, but you can get in the fourth. Um, I I agree with Mixon over McCaffrey. I I love Mixon. I mean,
0: he's got his off-field issues, and that's you know for other people to discuss. But in terms of pure football talent, you know the guy's ridiculous. He's six one, two twenty eight. He runs a four four three. Um, he's a great receiver. Um, I think he was great hand, standout pass protection. Uh, PFF college charted him with just one QB hurried allowed on 48 blocking snaps. I mean, so you know we can step in and be a third down back already. Um, you know, Jeremy Hill. I think we've seen all we need to out of him. Gio Bernard's still not even healthy from the season from the surgery. Um, you know, I think Mixon can step in and be a three down back. From week one, um, I think he can do it all—run between the tackles, get make catches, uh, get outside in space. I, I just I don't see any flaws in his game, and I think if any running rookie, any rookie running back is going to be a top ten guy, I actually think Mixon has a better shot of doing it in PPR than Fournette, and certainly ahead of McCaffrey.
2: Yeah, I. You're going to be jealous I have 10.77% Exposure to him At an average pick of 67 (laughs) So I was getting him (laughs) Uh, Yeah that's one of my My equity on him is a 3 Which is is really high um, For this Rotovis best ball app Um, Yeah so uh, again uh, I have a hard time Sometimes to continue to buy guys As their ADP goes up Uh, But when we look at all the guys here, Mixon is certainly someone I'm going to keep taking. Um, The next two people we'll talk about are, and I think they're the last two on our list. Yep. There's Aaron Rodgers and his wide receiver, uh, Devontae Adams. You know, I don't know that anyone has anything negative to say about Aaron Rodgers other than perhaps Olivia Munn at this point. But the only concern I have with him is just the fact of taking a quarterback so often, so early. Um, what are your thoughts on Rodgers in the third round? And then let's t- and then also talk about Devonte Adams, who's one of my favorite guys in this area. Uh, it's
0: it's funny you mention them together. I'm looking at my you know, most owned players. Uh, I have
2: Rodgers in eight out of thirty eight
0: leagues. And I have Devonte in seven. Um, I am I, I love Rodgers, you know. And depending on how the third round shakes out, I have no problem taking him there. Um, if Baldwin and Devonte and um, Demarius Thomas are gone, I'm I'm very open to taking Rogers. Uh, he gives you that QB one. It the opportunity cost. Yes, you can factor it in, but. You know, if it comes down to Rodgers or Sammy Watkins or Keenan Allen, I'm comfortable taking that, that QB one and, and not having to think about it. Um, you know, and the other good thing, and, and one of the things I do with Rodgers is I'll only take two QBs. You know, if I have Aaron Rodgers, I'll take a late second QB, you know, a Carson Palmer type, and and I'm done with the position. Um, you know, it it just frees up a lot of space. Um, you know, one of the drafts I did recently, I started off, I think, with Le'Veon Bell and I think went Gronk and Aaron Rodgers or something to that effect. Um, you know, and then after the third round, basically, I spent the next eight rounds, 10 rounds, just taking the best valued running back and wide receiver. Because, you know, with Gronk and Rodgers, I never had to think about those positions again. And it worked out nice. Um, so I don't think the opportunity cost is that bad. And you know the production's elite, and barring an injury, you know that offense is. They don't even have a running back really, so it's going to be a pass-centered offense.
2: Yep, I look. I love Rodgers, and uh, I, I, you know, I can't argue anything you said. One one point I'll mention um, that, you know, Mike Beers has done a lot of study, and he's been nice enough to share some of it with me. On the best, and he shared it on Rotoviz as well. If you look at the Rotoviz article that he wrote on January sixth, you can see that this year, um, while you know David Johnson was part of twenty-five percent of all the winning NFL team, ten teams last year, historically running backs and wide receivers can get over twenty percent. Um, tight ends even can get close quarterbacks the 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 biggest win rate last year was Drew Brees at 13.4 and then Matt Ryan at 12.1 Kirk Cousins at 11.4 and Aaron Rodgers at 11.0 I look at the year before and um you know again Brees and Newton were only around 13 14% so I, I tend to, uh, I've really cut back my ownership on, you know, my feeling is if that's the most that these guys are going to win, that's as, uh, you know, I don't, you know, if, if the, you know, six, you know, I used to draft 20, 25% on a quarterback. Um, unless it's a real late round guy, I'm, I'm trying to keep it to 16, 18%. Um you know, um, and my guy's kind of Russell Wilson this year. Uh, we talked about uh, Baldwin earlier. I think one of the hidden values on everyone on that team is just how hurt Russell Wilson was um, for most of the early part of last year. So I, I figured I would mention that for the people who are out there listening. But you know, much Aaron Rodgers love for me as well. And why don't you talk about Devontae Adams? You know, I
0: think I'm a big fan of Devontae just from what I saw last year. Um, You know, 75 for 1,000, 12 touchdowns. You know, there's rumors Nelson might move into the slot more, uh, which would leave him and Cobb on the outside. Uh, Cobb's numbers have just dropped each of the last three years. I am a buyer of Cobb, uh, just, you know, while the the name is out there. Um, I do think he's falling a little too far. I've seen him in the eighth round too many times, and that just shouldn't happen. Um, But... I just think Devontae's starting to just get better. And, you know, as people have said, when you have Aaron Rodgers throwing you the ball, you know, probably the top quarterback in the NFL, you're you're going to do well. And, you know, Adams, I think, is in a great position to to have another solid season. You know, last year he had seven games over 19 points. He only had five under 10 points. So, you know, you're getting that weekly floor. Um, You know, it's not like he's boom or bust. And I think that he's in the position, you know, to capitalize when, when Father Time finally hits Jordy Nelson. And, and that could be this year. We don't know that. Um, you know, but when that happens and Nelson starts slowing down and kind of becoming the Larry Fitzgerald slot possession guy instead of the explosive burner guy, um, I think Devontae Adams is the one that's going to pick up that, that slack. Um, I would not be shocked to see him put up a 1,200-yard, double-digit touchdown season.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't either. I I wish I have a decent amount. I wish I had a little bit more. And speaking of wishing I had a little bit more, we're we're over the hour mark, and it was fabulous having you on. We've covered all the third round guys on your list, and I want to thank you for coming on the pod, Mike. You were outstanding. I hope you come back soon. Uh, Thanks for doing the pod.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was a great chat and love to come back soon and, and discuss some more, you know, as football season starts to to get closer, it's going to be a good year and there's definitely a lot to talk about.
2: Yep. Um, Why don't you tell the folks how they can find you on Twitter?
0: You can find me at, at Mike C. Oliva, you know, all kinds of fantasy goodness constantly uh, being spewed out and, you know, definitely looking forward to having people uh, chat and give me their ideas.
2: Yep, you're one of the good guys. You, you know, uh, you're 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 like me in in the mindset of, you know, we know we can be wrong, and let's talk about it because we make each other better. And uh, so, I hope you go and follow Mike on Twitter. You can find me at Todd T O D from PA on Twitter. And I am going to lead us out with a song. This is a song that um, I've kind of uh, been listening to a lot lately. And the name of it really doesn't describe why I like it. The name is Kinky Afro. It's by the Happy Mondays. Um, But when it comes to doing MFL 10s, you don't have to ask me twice. They're going to talk about not having to be asked twice. Mike, thanks again for being on the pod.
0: Thanks so much for having me.